I mean, it's just so amazing that we can sing we're no longer slaves, and we can actually believe it and live out in that truth. And what Dahlia read, that, that greater is he who is in us than, than he who is in the world, like that's a truth that we need to grab a hold of and live out. God is for us, guys. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is for you. And because of that, no one's against you. Nothing can stand against you. That's the truth that we live in as followers of Jesus. That's the truth we live in as the church. That's not my sermon this morning. That just came out of nowhere. So let's, let's talk about uh, the sermon this morning. We're in an awesome series called Charisma, where we're going through all the spiritual gifts. Okay? Um, We've done leadership, serving, we've done prophecy, tongues, interpretation. Uh, last week we did the apostolic gifting and, and the mercy gift. Uh, today we're going to talk about discernment, miracles, and gifts of healings. I'll talk about why I'm using the plural on both of those a little later. Three gifts today. So today is actually going to be really fast. Okay, I, can preach a, I could preach a series on each of these gifts. We could do like month-long series on these gifts. Um, we're going to do it in the next... Oh, the band got done early. I'm up here early. Okay. Thanks, thanks band. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going to have time to talk about these. Because you guys, I know you guys are excited to hear about this. Miracles, healing, um, discernment. So we're going to talk about each of these gifts. It's going to be a little more, yeah, we're just going to roll through them today. So um, let's, just, let's just jump right in, get started. What if I told you that I have a very close friend of mine who, because of her dealings with the occult, for a while she couldn't see her reflection in a mirror? What if I told you that one morning outside of my house, on the street uh, at 4 a.m. in the morning, I saw a demon just staring me down. Your question is like, why, why are you out in the street at 4 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> I was uh, going on a flight. I was leaving for a flight. Um, what if I told you that at one point in my life I was kidnapped by demons? I see Justin look at <laughs> You're like, is that true? I'm not going to go into that story. Uh, now, what if I told you that I've seen someone prayed for and their cancer was taken away? What if I told you I've actually seen with my own eyes a leg come back into place? Through prayer. What if I told you that there was this huge Christian event in South Carolina in this open air uh, football stadium, and there was this big storm coming, they could see it coming on the horizon, and this one old lady stands up and says, in the name of Jesus, that storm is not going to stop what God wants to do here today, and the storm splits and goes around and it rains all around the stadium, but it doesn't rain in the stadium. Do you guys have a hard time believing stuff like that? I heard one person say no. <laughs> he was just like, no. Uh, a lot of us have a hard time believing stuff like that. Believing in the supernatural. Because a lot of us think it's because of this, because we don't see it with our own eyes, and we haven't actually seen it. And because we haven't seen it, and we haven't verified it, and we haven't proven it, then it can't be then, then, it, then it can't have, have happened. But I actually think the main reason we have a hard time believing in stuff like that, that that stuff actually happens, is because we don't want to believe it. Because our hearts actually deceive us. Because our hearts are hard and they deceive us. Because our eyes aren't attuned to those things. And it's easier not to believe it because we can't explain it. So let's just believe what we can explain. That's the age we live in. That's the age of the Enlightenment. That's what the Enlightenment has, has done. And we live in this age of reason still. And we've, we've just grown up in it, especially here in the West. Uh, we've, we've grown up with, with, this, with this lens. 
And so we have a hard time believing that that stuff actually happens. And we say, if only I would see it, I would believe it. If only God would just show me himself, I would believe in God. If only I would see a miracle happen, I would believe it happened. Well, the Gospels are full of miracles where people said that, and then they didn't believe. They actually saw miracles happen before their eyes, and they persisted in their unbelief. Jesus pronounces woes, which is the opposite of blessings, on multiple cities in the Gospels because of their unbelief after he's performed miracles and healings and all these things, and they still didn't believe. So what makes you different from everybody else in in history there? (laughs) So that's not the case. It's not that if we see it, we'll believe it. There's There's something else happening there. There's something else going on. And we are deceived by our hearts. We're deceived by our our eyes. And and because of that, we just choose not to believe. It's just easier. Okay? Um, But this morning, I want you to see that there's so much that God is doing in this world. And as we talk about the gifts of discernment, the gift of miracles, the gift of healings, I want your eyes to be open. I want your mind to be open. I want your heart to be open to these things. Okay, take, take a look at this, this graphic. This is, I love using this to explain the natural and the supernatural, okay? This is the light spectrum. So it goes all the way from gamma rays to radio waves, AM radio waves. In, in the beginning of radio waves, there's also microwaves. Not like the thing that sits in your house, but like microwaves, okay? Which use the thing. So... All right, here we go. Um, any science people in here? Okay, good. So you won't know if I'm wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> One person will know that I'm wrong when I say what I messed this up. But I love using this because this is, this is the entire light spectrum, okay? The, the whole thing up there, the squiggly lines from short to, 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 uh, to like the wider ones. Um, in the middle here, see that little sliver of color? That's the visible spectrum. So out of the entire light spectrum, what we actually see in the light spectrum is only that. It's only that little, that little piece, okay? This is, and, and, and guess what? On, on this, so we don't see gamma rays. We don't see x-rays. Can you imagine if we saw all these things? What colors we would see? You, you'd see your, your microwave emitting microwaves, and you'd actually see those waves. You would see radiation. You'd see UV rays from, from the sun. You would see, I don't know, you, we might see all different colors. I, I don't know. We can only see those colors because our eyes are attuned to it. This is, now picture this. So the entire spectrum here is the supernatural. It's the world that God created. Okay? It's, it's the whole thing. The little sliver there is the natural. It's what we see. It's what our eyes are attuned to. Now, we didn't know 100, what is this, 116 years ago, we didn't know gamma rays even existed. They weren't discovered until 1900. I don't know, x-rays... Radio waves, I know microwaves were, were discovered in like 18, late 1800s. So, like some of the stuff we didn't know existed, but it didn't mean it wasn't there, okay? And we still can't see them, but we have tools that, that can see that these exist, right? So now, if you think of this as a supernatural, just because we can't see the supernatural doesn't mean it's not there. We only see a little sliver, the visible spectrum and what we've done is, I love this graphic because what it does is the visible spectrum you see here, it actually overpowers the rest of the spectrum in this graphic, doesn't it? It makes it look like that's the main thing. But it's not the main thing. It's just a little piece of it. But that's what we've done. We've taken the natural and we've made it the main thing. And in doing that, we've taken out the supernatural. Do you, are you guys following me there? Our eyes are not attuned to the supernatural anymore. 
because we live in, this, in the visible spectrum. And we're only saying what we can verify, that's what we believe in. And so when I said all those instances before about demons and about miracles that, that I have seen, you guys are probably like, whoa, whoa, well, I haven't seen that. Or, I don't know, can I, can I trust him that he's seen a demon? Can I trust, I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. That's because you're living in the visible spectrum. That's because you're not attuned to the supernatural spectrum. And that's what I want to happen for us this morning. That's the, the point of today. When we talk about healings and miracles and discernment, we have to be attuned to the entire spectrum. If not, we're just going to live in what we can see and, and verify, okay, empirically. That's the visible spectrum, all right? So let's, all right, I have time to do this. I'm going to go over spiritual gifts really quick. We're five weeks into our series, and it's just a good time for a refresher on spiritual gifts. So um, we're going to have it up. We're going to have 1 Corinthians 12 up on the screen. But Teresa, I mean, you're going to have to flip back and forth. So you guys, it'll be up there. Then we'll flip the points and, and back and forth. I'm going to roll through this pretty quickly. But it's just to give us a refresher. We've been in the series, like I said, five weeks. We'll go into it another six, seven weeks, I, th I think, something like that. So it's a good mid midway point to refresh you guys on, on what we mean when we talk about spiritual gifts, okay? So here we go. Um, Paul says here, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So right off the bat, Paul says, guys, I'm about to tell you about spiritual gifts, okay? And I'm going to explain to you why, why we need them, why they're necessary, what they are. Um, and he says in verse 2, uh, and three, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, idols that couldn't speak. However, uh, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is, is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, first thing about spiritual gifts, yeah, go to that, go to the list. Um, first thing about spiritual gifts that uh, I want you, uh, Teresa, go to the points. Um, first thing about spiritual gifts that I want you to see is this, that they're given to followers of Jesus. This is what Paul is saying here. Uh, when you say Jesus is Lord, you say that in the Holy Spirit. So spiritual gifts are given to followers of Jesus. Now that may seem elementary, that may seem uh, pretty simplistic, but you have to know that. Um, spiritual gifts are not given to those who are not followers of Jesus. Okay, so Paul's about to list this. Uh, two followers of Jesus. Uh, the second thing, uh, we'll see in the next few verses, that these things are distinct from each other. They're designed for different uses, and they're distributed in different ways. So verses 4 through 6 say, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there's different types of gifts, okay? Uh, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So let's say you have the gift of teaching, that gift can actually be used in different ways. Okay, I was just talking to Rachel this morning who loves kids. She wants to use uh, a teaching gift to teach kids. Some of you guys will teach kids. Some of you guys may be more attuned to teach adults. Some of you guys, if you have the teaching gift, you may teach in academia. Some of you guys may teach in uh, an informal setting. So the gift works itself out in different ways. Okay, that's what Paul is saying. Uh, but the same Lord, verse 6, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. When he says varieties of activities, he's saying sometimes the Spirit apportions a different level of the gifting or power of the gifting uh, at a different time to different people for different purposes. Okay? So uh, that's, that's all that's saying. All right, the next one is, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is verse 7. These gifts are given by God to others, uh, for others. So God wants you to receive a gift and use it for others. They're for the common good. They're for building up the body. Um, and then he lists the gifts. And the last, the last point is, is uh, what is the last point? There it is. They are gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit, not gifts you're born with. Okay? And he lists the gifts here. And then in verse 11 he says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And in the listing, 
are the gifts we're talking about today. Discerning spirits, it's, it's, it's uh, referred to as. Um, gifts of healings. Again, I'll talk about why it's plural later. And miracles, the working of miracles. Uh, so that's, that's a quick rundown on spiritual gifts. So keep that in mind as we move into it. Let's now go into discernment. All right. I did really good on the time here. Now we're going to spend all our time here. Discernment, miracles, and, and healings. Okay. How many, how many times a day, a week, a month, do you ask God for discernment? Some of you guys are like, well, I don't really care, or I don't really ask God for, my, for input in my decisions. Odds are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you ask God on a regular basis for discernment. And that's great. You want to know, you want to know what career path to take. You want to know what to major in in school. You want to know um, where to move your family. You want to know... Uh, you want direction in your relationships, who to date, who to marry, uh, with your parents, with your, your siblings, with your friends, what, what, what to do in, in certain situations. And, and all, that's, all that's great, but do you actually know what you're asking when you're asking God for discernment? And most of us are just saying, God, we want to know next steps. We want to know where you want to take us. And that's great. Keep on asking God for that. God is intimately involved in your life. He wants, to, he wants to help direct your path. He wants to show you what's best for you. Uh, he wants all those things for you. Um, but when we talk about the gift of discernment, we're not talking about that. Okay? So as Christians, we can say discernment and, and use discerning. But the gift of discernment is not based on your intellectual capacity to make good decisions or even your spiritual capacity to make good decisions. The gift of discernment is different from that. This is, this is the gift of discernment here. It's the ability to clearly recognize and distinguish between the spirit of God and the spirit of this world, between good and evil, between what is holy and what is sinful. That's the definition of the gift of discernment from the scriptures. The, you're distinguishing between what is good and what is evil, what is holy and what is sinful, between what is of God and what is not of God. Okay? So maybe when you're asking for discernment, maybe we should be asking for this. Maybe that would help us inform what our next steps would be more. I don't know. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's, he's uh, the great, what, 18th, 19th century, I can't remember now, uh, preacher, uh, in the UK, great Baptist preacher. They, they called him the prince of preachers. If this guy is the prince of preachers, that makes me... Let's see, there's prince, count, duke. I'm the court jester of preachers. So this guy, he says, discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Rather, it's the difference between right and almost right. That's why we need the gift. Because the enemy is so subtle, he's so wily, he's so deceptive, he's so subversive that he takes truth and he mixes it with a little error and before we know it, we're living in error. It's easy to say that's right and that's wrong. It's not so easy to say that's not quite right. And that's, that's the point he's getting at. That's where the power of the spirit, that's where the power of discernment comes into play. Uh, Hebrews 5.14, I believe, uh, is that, did I, oh, I did have it, yeah. Hebrews 5.14 says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we all have powers of discernment, okay? And like I said, this isn't, I don't mean the intellectual capacity to make well-informed good decisions. I mean, the ability to tell the difference between what's good and what's evil. We all have this. Paul actually, or Paul, the writer of Hebrews, <laughs> I would get killed for that in seminary. So the writer, that's, if you haven't been to seminary, then just ignore that. The writer of, the writer of Hebrews says that um, we can actually hone this gifting it can actually be improved. 
because we can do it through constant practice. Okay? So it's a sign of maturity for believers. If you're able to discern things well uh, between good and evil, then it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of maturation in your walk uh, with Christ. And you're able to distinguish uh, what's of God and, and what isn't of God. Uh, so we all have it. So that means that the gift of discernment then is this supernatural uh, power or, or kind of like this oomph, this, this extra dose of discernment in order to do this. And remember, this is for the common good. Many times this is going to come out in, in the building of the body of Christ, okay? This is going to come out in the church. Uh, this is going to come out in culture, all right? So let's, let's walk through First John here, this passage that Dahlia so beautifully read. Uh, again, we're going to fly through this passage, okay? Because you guys are like waiting to get to miracles and healing and, and stuff like that. So we're going to fly through this. So try to, try to keep up. I'll, if you need the notes on this, just let me know. I don't, I don't um, have notes like put in order, but if you want notes on this, I'll put them in order for you. Um, just, uh, just let me know. So, or, or the slides. I mean, we can just also give you the slides. Uh, so here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to point some things out. Okay, since Dolly already read it. I'm just going to point things out as we walk through this. John is writing to the church here. And he says, right off the bat, do not believe every spirit. And he's telling them to be watchful of falsehood. He's saying, don't believe every spirit. He says, test the spirits. He says, there's many false prophets who are in the world. And he says, this is how you test the spirits. And he goes in verses 2 and 3, and he says, if they confess Jesus and that he's come in the flesh, then it's of God. If they don't, then it's not of God. That seems pretty simple. I mean, I, I don't know. That seems, that seems pretty simple. But um, we're still getting fooled as a church by this. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit more. We're still getting fooled. I mean, this is pretty elementary stuff. If they, if they say Jesus is from the flesh and of God, then, then they're good. If they don't declare that, then they're evil. All right? Okay, we all, like, pretty simple. We're, we're all following that. Um, now, keep that in mind. So go back to that list. So, again, the first thing he said was uh, you're watchful of false. So the second thing is you're confident in Christ and not afraid to call out evil if you have the gift of discernment, okay? Uh, this is coming out of verse 4. I love this verse. Everybody who's been a Christian for a while would know this verse, um, but we probably don't know it in its context. But this verse is awesome. It says, uh, you are from God and have overcome them, talking about the false prophets or the antichrists. Um, and he says, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we have this confidence in Christ that we can actually call out evil. So if you have the gift of discernment, you would be this way. You have this. This is how you would know you might have this. And then the, the following verses tease out the next point. Um, you can clearly distinguish between the influence of God and the influence of the world. And he goes through in verses 5 and 6, and, and he says, you know, those of the world, listen to the world. Those of, of the Spirit, listen to those uh, in, the, in the church, and by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then the last thing has to do with love. The last thing is, are you protective of the church? If you have the gift of discernment, you're going to be very protective of the church, of the holiness of the bride of Christ. And in 7 through 9, all he's talking about is love, love for one another, and, and love is the impetus for discernment. Now, sometimes... Sometimes uh, you have someone who has the gift of discernment, actually a lot of times, and we don't like that person because they tell us what we're doing is wrong. Or they say the church isn't where it should be because of good and of this distinguishing between good and evil. Now, I'm not talking about those who complain or grumble. I'm talking about those who see good and evil, who can distinguish from the spirit of God and the spirit of this world. Uh, for instance, uh, it was probably, I don't know, it was a couple months ago. I don't even remember what I was preaching on. I don't remember what series we were in. But I remember talking about the top 40, the top 40 songs, right? I remember talking about the top 40 and saying, 
something to the effect of we need to, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to distinguish the top 40 and, and say why we should or shouldn't listen to it. We just need to say, we just, not, we just shouldn't blindly accept it. We should be able to see the top 40. Because I listen, I don't listen to the top 40. But I listen to the first 10 songs in preparation for the sermon. And I was like, this is horrible. I can't believe people listen to this stuff. But I've been with, with some of you guys who are listening to this stuff. And I'm like, why do we why do, we do this? This is just bad things going, going in our mind. That's the power of discernment. And I said that to us. And a few people come up to me and they're like, well, I guess I got to stop listening to all popular music now. And I got a lot of, like, bad comments for it. Um, that's because a lot of people don't like someone who says we shouldn't be doing that. Because we like doing things that are evil sometimes. And that sounds really bad to say in church. But we like doing things that are evil sometimes. We're comfortable with it. It makes us feel good. It satisfies our flesh. And that's why it's this war and this battle. And that's why when someone points out, man, maybe you probably shouldn't be doing that. Um, that's why our flesh gets angry at it. And so this gift of discernment, the church really, really, really needs but we have to come to a point where we as a church accept this gift and accept people who have this gift and say, yes, we want this as a church. Because it's easy, like Charles Spurgeon was saying, it's easy to say, that's an angel and that's a demon. Yeah, I, I totally see the difference there. It's not so easy to say, this type of music, maybe I shouldn't listen to. This type of music, maybe I should listen to. This, this show on TV, Netflix, whatever you watch, Maybe that's not good for the upbuilding of, of my faith. This show maybe is. You know, when, when we talk about things more granular than that, we're fooled. We're fooled by the spirit of this world. We're completely duped. And like I said, it's simple, isn't it? Paul says if they say that Jesus has come in the flesh, they're of the spirit of God. If they say they haven't, then they're the spirit of this world. Last time, last time I checked... Uh, Lady Gaga hasn't proclaimed that, she's, that Jesus came in the flesh and she's a follower of Jesus. Okay, don't get mad at me. I don't want to get texts and, and emails. But that's how simple it is, guys. We make it complicated. We make it so complicated. And we're fooled. Our hearts are deceptive. They're desperately wicked, the Bible says. And they trick us. And our eyes aren't, in tu aren't attuned to see the supernatural. Okay? Um, all right, that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go, I, I think. Yeah, let's go, let's go to miracles and gifts of healing. So a couple things I want to say before we jump into this. I'm going to deal with miracles and gifts of healing in kind of the same thing, but a little separately. Miracles, this working of miracles, miracles is like the umbrella term for all miraculous things. Gifts of healings is one segment of the miraculous. Does that make sense? So it's kind of under the umbrella, all right? So we're going to go with the umbrella first, and then we're going to hone in onto gifts of healings. There's this great book, before I forget, I want to mention it now. His name is, it's, he's a phenomenal New Testament scholar. His name is Craig Keener. He teaches at Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. Um, he wrote this book called Miracles. He was writing this commentary on the book of Acts, and he was like, wow, all these miracles are happening. Do I even believe in miracles? I should verify these things. Um, so he wrote this book called Miracles. It's like 1,100 pages. It's super thick. I think it's one or two. I think it might be two volumes. Uh, but what he wanted to do was present the credibility of New Testament miracles by showing and detailing eyewitness accounts of modern miracles. So it's very scholarly on one hand, but it's very accessible on the other hand because he's, he's detailing miracles that happened today, that happened yesterday, 10 years ago. Um, and he has this all, it's like, it's almost like Luke researching and, and going through eyewitness accounts, like this is what he's done through all these miracles. It's phenomenal. So I recommend that to you. Check it out. 
um, it's probably at U of T and any any one of those theological libraries there you can you can check it out um, but it's a phenomenal work you can also probably get a, a Reader's Digest version they have Reader's Digest in Canada yeah yeah okay uh, a Reader's Digest version um, on YouTube where he probably explains it so you can do that as well so you don't have to read 1100 pages but really good um, all right, so let's define miracles to start off with. We don't know what miracles are. We think we do, but let me define it. A miracle is a God-caused event. So this is uh, every word in here I chose specifically, okay? So a miracle does not happen out of my own power. It's a God-caused event. So even if I have the gift of miracles, then it's not from me. It's from God, okay? Um, at a particular place and time... So it's an instance. Okay, this, the gift of miracles and the gift of healings, the gifts of healings aren't necessarily constant giftings, okay? I'm not going to talk about how do you know if you have these things because you'd probably know if you had the gift of miracles. Um, but it's not a constant thing necessarily. So God caused event in a perfect time and place in which the regular course of nature is temporarily superseded. Okay, superseded in order to advance the kingdom. All right, that's key. Sometimes we attribute things to, to being a miracle, but if they don't advance the kingdom, then it doesn't count. Okay? Um, uh, so in order to advance the kingdom by authenticating a person, message, or office. This is why so many miracles happen when Jesus came because they were authenticating a person, message, or office, because Jesus is revealing the kingdom at that particular point in time in a tremendous way. And that's why in the New Testament we have this stuff everywhere. And that's why if you go to the global south, where the kingdom is penetrating through in Africa, in China, in South America, in the Middle East, miracles are happening like crazy, because the kingdom is penetrating through. Okay? Um, and it's authenticating who Jesus is. It's authenticating the gospel message. It's authenticating uh, the people who are delivering this message. So that's, that's a basic definition of uh, what a miracle is. What's the next slide? Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that. I can't remember which slide I had next. Okay, um, that's basic definition. Now, there's a guy named David Hume. He is, he, or he was, a Scottish philosopher, um, post-Enlightenment, actually coming out of the Enlightenment, 18th century Scottish philosopher. He wrote this book called An Inquiry Concerning Human Understanding. Section 10 of that book deals with miracles. And this guy is, many would say he's the father of philosophical empiricism, so we got to verify things in order to believe them, uh, and the father of skepticism, okay? So he writes on miracles coming out of the Enlightenment. And whether you know it or not, much of your mentality on this subject, much of our mentality as a culture, comes from this guy's writing. This is a very influential work. I actually have this work on my bookcase in our living room, if you've been in the living room. Um, it's, it's right there. Uh, it has defined our rationalistic mindset even into the 21st century. Okay? He says this about miracles. He says, no way do miracles occur? He says it's a ludicrous proposition that miracles could break the laws of nature because those laws, he says it's impossible, and those laws are actually unalterable. So they can't break the laws of nature. Even if your divine fantasy had, even if that was true, God couldn't do this. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Miracles, according to that definition, don't actually break the laws of nature. They actually supersede those laws. Okay? Think about it this way. And um, <laughs> this is going to sound like it's easy to just rebut a very influential Scottish philosopher who has defined our history for the past 300 years. Don't view it that way. Um, this is, uh, we'll watch as this develops. So miracles don't actually break the laws of nature. Miracles supersede it. Uh, because if, 
if they did, when Jesus turns water into wine, for instance, when he turns water into wine, if he broke the law of nature, because think about when he does that, what has to happen? Now we know that on a very molecular level, something had to happen. Alcohol had to go in there. Fermentation had to happen. So now you have a different compound. You don't have H2O anymore, right? It's not like it was masked H2O. Like, you don't have H2O anymore. You actually have wine. And, and the Bible says it was the best wine. So something happened molecularly in the water to now make it into wine. Okay, so it's no longer H2O. It's whatever the compound is for wine, right? Now, if Jesus, if he broke the law of nature when that happened, all water on earth would have been turned into wine. You following me? Some of you guys are like, oceans of wine? That'd be awesome. <laughs> Think about this. Wine now, we just crush with our feet. Ocean wine? Eh, like, whole bodies are in there. There's trash in there. We probably wouldn't want to drink it, so don't get too excited. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's why, like, that's why when a miracle happens, it doesn't break the law of nature because it would change everything, okay? If that law of nature is broken, all H2O compounds would now be wine compounds. It doesn't happen like that. Here's the thing. If you are, if your viewpoint is rationalistic, naturalistic, you consider yourself in that camp. If you consider, so there's naturalistic, there's your naturalist, there's your supernaturalist, okay? I think that's it. Some of you guys are like, oh, I'm in between. Well, if you're in between, you're probably a naturalist. Um, maybe you, you're seeking supernatural. Um, but I think, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm pretty like, you either believe it or you don't believe it. So um, my, my, uh, my philosophy professor would say, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You cannot be in between. Um, so naturalist or supernaturalist. Uh, so here's the thing. The naturalist thinks and you may think this, that you have a more objective viewpoint. And if that's the case, you're, act, you're, you're actually lying to yourself. You're misrepresenting your, your position because the naturalist is governed by the laws of nature. The supernaturalist is governed by the Lord of nature. Did you catch that? Like, you should write that down. Like, you should tweet that. The naturalist is governed by the laws of nature. The supernaturalist by the Lord of nature. That's the difference. God isn't constrained by his own laws. He can actually supersede, supersede them in certain instances in, in space and time because he's outside of nature. Okay? C.S. Lewis, Lewis talks about this more. He wrote a book called Miracles as well, which I recommend to you. C.S. Lewis, uh, it's, it's actually sort of a rebuttal to David Hume's uh, section 10 on miracles. And C.S. Lewis says this in the book. He says, actually, the, the miraculous is not grounded in the event. It's grounded in the interpretation of the event. So if you're closed-minded you'll never see a miracle for what it is. Never. And I can actually make the argument that the naturalist is more closed-minded than the supernaturalist. Because if you look at that, that visible spectrum, the naturalist is only looking at that small little sliver. The supernaturalist is saying, no, gamma rays exist. Yeah, I can't see x-rays, but they exist. Radio waves exist. It always reminds me of a cartoon Remember in cartoons, you have a radio and you got little like things coming out of it, little lightning bolts. That, like that's that's the light spectrum. The supernatural is saying, no, we have the whole spectrum here. Even though we can't see with our eyes, we know it's there. We can see the effects, we can feel it, and sometimes it breaks through and we can see it. And so, if you want to know more about this, look at Hume's work, but look at C.S. Lewis's work where he gives a he he offers a sort of rebuttal on it, and then a few notes on miracles before we move on to healings. So one, miracles are not transgressing the natural order. They're actually restoring the natural order. Think about it like that. When, when, Jesus, uh, when Jesus comes and he heals, he's, he's, he's ushering in the kingdom. He's saying, Father, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. They're restoring the natural order. Number two, miracles are given from God to bless others. 
Okay, that seems pretty self-explanatory, but there's, there's a, um, an account in Acts with Simon the Magician. He's this magician. Everyone's like, oh, he's so cool. He's like David Copperfield. And the disciples come, and they're healing people. And do you guys know who David Copperfield is? That kind of dated me. David Blaine. David Blaine. Is he old news too? Um, so uh, the disciples come, and he's like, oh, I want to do what you do. I want to do those miracles. And, they're, and they have to rebuke him, and he has to repent because he just wants to do the miracles to get the recognition. But miracles are given from God to bless others, not for your own edification. All right, number three. Uh, miracles require spiritual discipline. So if you want to be, if you want God to do the miraculous through you, you better be praying, reading your Bible, fasting. Uh, there's this account in the scriptures, I think it's Mark 8, 9, one of those, um, where uh, the disciples, they've been casting out demons, they've been healing the sick, God has given them power, Jesus has showed them how to do this. And then they come up to this boy, and they're like, all right, demon, come out. And that boy's still going crazy. Like, they, they can't cast a demon out of him. And they're trying, they're trying, they can't do it. So the father of the boy takes the boy to Jesus, and Jesus casts out the demon. And the disciples are like, what? Like, why couldn't we do that, Jesus? And he says, oh, well, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. It requires some discipline, guys. He's showing them it requires some spiritual discipline. It's not, it requires some work on your part to be in relationship with the Father. Okay, uh, number four. Is this the last one, number four? Okay, miracles can be affected by the strength of the opposition. Guys, this is spiritual warfare we're talking about here. Miracles, healings, this is spiritual warfare. And we are in a war against an enemy that is strong, and that uh, is opposing us, okay? But remember what John says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And there's an account, it's Luke 9, one of those, it's in Luke, um, uh, where Jesus uh, comes up to this guy, and he's been terrorizing the city, he's naked, he's going around cutting himself with stones, and he's terrorizing everybody. And Jesus comes up to him, and he calls the demon out of him, and guess what happens? Nothing. And Jesus is, this is Jesus, like the son of God. And Jesus says, hey, what's your name? And the demon says, legion, for we're many. There's many demons in him. And Jesus is like, oh, it's going to take a little more persistence and perseverance. But it's also, wow, maybe I got a little more power here. And all of a sudden, he calls them out, and they, and they come out. They go in a herd of pigs, and they run down, and they, like, the pigs, like, run over the edge. It's like, well, yeah, so um, it's a really weird, it's a really weird story. Uh, like you can't make stuff like that up, right? Um, so uh, what, what we recognize there is that the opposition was really strong in the sky. There are multiple demons in there, and the miracle didn't work the same way in a different instance, okay? And Jesus says, what's your name? And then he casts out the demon. So um, that's, on, that's on miracles. Let's go to gifts of healings. We're going to roll through this um, over the next five minutes. Um, and five, six, seven minutes, maybe seven minutes. Um, gifts of healing. So here we go. Um, let's just walk through this statement. There may be some who have the gift in a more consistent fashion, but the construction of this phrase, gifts of healings, the two plurals, actually connotes a special measure of power for a specific instance. Gifts of healings. This means that not one person uh, with this gifting has a monopoly on all kinds of healings. Rather, the gift of healing is diverse. So let's go over some principles of, of healings. All right. uh, first one is healing does not preclude modern medicine. Okay, so some, a lot of you guys are in the medical field. Some of you guys are like, uh, healing, I don't know. That's why I've become a nurse or a doctor. Um, but healing does not preclude modern. Like, we still have modern medicine, guys. Like, sometimes, so I get migraines from time to time. I've had them since I was, since I was a kid. I've learned how to control my body enough to, to stop them before they come now. But every once in a while, it's, it's too late, and 
Um, and every time I pray, God, take this away. Because um, if you've if you've had a mi- if you've never had a migraine, it just feels like someone's pounding on your head with a sledgehammer. Like every heartbeat is hurting your head. Um, you can sense every heartbeat in your in your head. Light, I mean everything. I throw up when I have them. It's it's horrible. Mine are, in, are stress induced. But anyways, um, maybe you guys can pray for me later. So uh, every time I pray to God, take this away. Uh, but I found out if I catch it early enough and take ibuprofen, it'll go away. So I do that. Does that mean I have less faith? Well, no. It means that God's given us modern medicine, and I can take medicine to make it go away, so I'll, I'll try that. Now, sometimes it's too far on, and, and I ask God to take it away, and uh, that hasn't happened yet. So <laughs> it just, I got to sleep it off for like two, three hours in order for it to go away. Um, so don't, don't hear healing and say, oh, we shouldn't go to the doctor. Like, God has gifted us with the ability uh, to think, to know our bodies, to, he's, he's gifted us all with, with this medicine, all right? So, number two, healing does not depend on our own understanding, but on God's character. We want to understand healing. We understand why it happens, why it doesn't happen, but just know that God is good. Is that enough for you, to know that God is good all the time? We, yeah, all the time, God is good. That's right, girl. Say it loud. Uh, yeah, it depends on God's character, guys. We should know the type of God we have. So whether, like, his goodness should not depend on your circumstances, of whether he heals you or not. Okay? Uh, number three, healing may require persistence and perseverance. Uh, there's this really, I think it's in the Gospel of Mark, this really unique episode Jesus has been healing blind people left and right. He comes up to this blind man, and he puts his hands on him. He spits in his eyes. Weird, right? Have you ever tried to heal someone like that? (laughs) He spits in his eyes, puts his hands on him, and the guy's vision isn't fully restored. It's actually only partially restored. And Jesus is like, do you see anything? He's like, yeah, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And Jesus is like, all right, like, here we go. And he puts his hands on him again and fully restores his vision. Sometimes healing takes persistence and perseverance. Sometimes we say, God, heal me. Oh, well, he didn't do it. Okay. Let's move on. Persistence and perseverance. Even Jesus shows us that, that uh, it requires that sometimes. Number four, healing is not automatic. Check out this Piper quote. John Piper is, is one of the greatest uh, preachers of the last generation. Um, he says, this was Paul's experience, that it's not automatic. He says, God gave him the grace to heal the crippled man, many people in Ephesus, demonized girl, Eutychus. After he was dead, he resurrected him. But Paul could not heal himself from the thorn in his own flesh or from the ailment that he had when he preached in Galatia. And evidently, he couldn't heal Timothy from his stomach ailments. Actually, going back to modern medicine, he tells Timothy to drink wine to combat his stomach ailments or Epaphroditus from his life-threatening sickness, or Trophimus when he left him ill at Miletus. So Paul's healing people like crazy, but he, didn't, he, he couldn't do it in any of these instances. And he says, God is sovereign in this affair. Nothing is mechanical or automatic. All right, let's go to the next, the next one. I think there's two more. Healing is governed by compassion and love. You see this all over the Gospels. If you want to be able to heal people, if you want God to use you to heal people, you better be compassionate and loving because that's the impetus for the gift of healing, okay? Um, Which I said last week that that's, I don't really have that in my life. (laughs) So I need more compassion um, if I want God to use me to heal. Number six, healing is spiritual warfare. And we'll close here. Guys, I started out saying this, you know, just so excited about about the worship and, and prayer. Uh, and what, what God is doing in here today. But all these gifts, not just healing, all these spiritual gifts, God's given us to war with him, alongside him, on behalf of the kingdom. They're not given for you. They're given for others. They're given for this church. They're given for the church. They're given for our city. You know, when healing happens, a lot of times, 
in, in, the, uh, in the scriptures. Because why would healing happen? Why would miracles happen? It, it happens because God's love is going forth, because the kingdom is being advanced, because his light is breaking into the darkness, because people are being saved. Many times it's for evangelistic purposes that God does this. And most people in, in the scriptures who are healed or see miracles, they're not followers of Jesus. Most of the instances of miracles that Craig Keener talks about in his book, Miracles, that he documents modern in modern times, are going into tribes that have never heard the name of Jesus, but they're authenticating a person, Jesus, a message, the gospel, an office that people go into to um, declare the good news. And people are seeing this and they're, they're saying, yes, Jesus, the kingdom is here. It's revealing the kingdom to us. It's showing us the rest of that spectrum. That it's not just the natural, it's not just the visible that is alive in this world, but there's this whole world out there that we can't yet attune our eyes to. And I so want that for you. And there's this passage in the scriptures, Second uh, Kings chapter 8, I believe. Elisha, the prophet of God, has an army surrounding him, and his servant says, what are we going to do? They're going to kill us. They came, to, they came to get us. Uh, this, is, this is just crazy. And Elisha's like, what are you talking about? There's more with us than that are against us. And he says, God, open his eyes that he may see. And Gehazi's eyes are open, and he sees the chariots of fire around them. And that whole army gets struck blind, and they don't know what to do. And Elisha takes the army to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel says, should I strike them down? Should I kill these guys? Like, they're blind. Elisha restores their sight, and he says, show them hospitality. Show them God. Show them why you serve who you serve. And the scriptures say, it's so beautiful that they have this feast of celebration. And the king of Israel doesn't slaughter them. He sends them back to their nation, knowing who God is, knowing who the God of this universe is. That's what miracles are for. That's what healings are for. That's what discernment is for. That's why God gives us these gifts. It's to advance the kingdom. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray.